Hello and welcome back to Watch Party Lord of the Rings, where we look at Tolkien through the lens of adaptation. I'm Michael. And I'm Jen. And today we're talking about episode 8 of The Rings of Power, the season finale titled Alloyed. Alright, so Jen, you were asking me before, do we think it's an upper or a downer? And uh, what do you think? How'd you feel? And we, we didn't, so again, we haven't talked. Usually we would talk, we haven't talked at all. And also, I haven't been on the internet, basically at all. Like, usually... The moment the episode airs, I haven't I'm like read anything. Watching Twitter, Michael, I'm like nothing. listening to this podcast. No, I've I've gone nothing dark. I like have sequestered myself just because I wanted. I need. I was like, I need some time to digest. Same. This. Okay. So also, everyone, we're recording this later than we usually do, and part of the reason for that is because I really felt like I needed to marinate on this. I needed to think about it. You know what? There's just so much to think about and unpack, and there's a lot that I didn't like. And there's a lot that I really, really loved. So mm-hmm. we'll get into it. I mean, my overall reaction was I, I was pleased with, um, with what I saw in terms of okay, Hal Bransaron, surprise, surprise. We knew that was coming. Pretty so much. I, think I, I wasn't as like, you know, disappointed or shocked. I did like the reveal. Um, right. I liked the way that they did it. I really mm. enjoyed that. Um, so there were some high highs in there, but I was processing the season as a whole. So I've just, yeah, I've right. got a lot to to talk about. I'm sure you do. I, I I think overall for me, it's an upper in that I feel hopeful for the coming seasons and I want more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely is set up and I've seen, I have seen articles, so I haven't gone, it's not like a total media blackout. I saw an article from um, uh, J.D. Payne and, and McKay, so the showrunner saying basically like, Season two, now that Sauron is out in the open, season two is going to be all about like, well, he's maneuvering out in the open and, and that plot line, it's going to feel a little more canon to people. We're getting those canon stories that a lot of people were saying they wanted um, about the Rings of Power. Like people are complaining, why aren't we getting this? Why aren't we getting that? And they're, and they're saying, okay, we're going to get into that in season two. We were setting mm-hmm. up in season one and season two, we're going to see a lot more of those things. So I, I think that's interesting. Um, but yeah, season so the season finale, so I liked it. I mean, I thought it was good. Um, there's plenty of stuff that I needed to process and like it's not like perfect just like this whole season is not perfect for me you know there's all the kinds of things i would do differently but all in all i think it was like a good episode um but what's interesting about it is so some big reveals clearly like these are the twists that you wait for at the end of the season but like you mentioned we kind of knew about these twists already like how yeah. is sauron we we were debating for a lot of seasons like i was like i don't i don't see it but i certainly you know we've been talking about the possibility of how is sauron and I think at least since the end of the last season where they were going to Eregion, I was like, all right, he's Sauron. Like, I speculated that if he's Sauron, they have to get him to Eregion to do the Anatar thing to hang out with Celebrimbor. And this is a good excuse to do it because, he, you know, he, um, the, the mountain has erupted. Actually, it was at the end of episode six that I, that I theorized this. So then when I saw them do that at the end of episode seven, I was like, all right, he's, he's Sauron for sure. Right. And also... To get like kind of leaky, and I didn't mention this. I made a point not to mention this again. But like way back when we were covering Fellowship of Fans leaks, one of the leaks that they that they released was that there would be a scene with a standoff between Adar and Sauron on a human village. I don't set. remember that. And I figured you wouldn't, and a lot of people out there wouldn't either. So I didn't want to bring it up again because once we saw the standoff between Halbrand and Adar, I was like, 
I remembered that and I was like, well, that has to be what it's referring it has to, to be. because yeah. there's been no other standoff with Adar. We're not going to have another opportunity. Clearly, the Mountain Doom has just erupted. Yeah. So there's not going to be for another one. For all we one. know, Adar is dead like Sauron killed him. Maybe. I mean. Well, no, no. We saw him. We saw him alive. Remember at the end of episode seven. Oh, that's right. Um, but I was like, all right, we're not going to have another battle on a human village set with Adar. That's just not going to happen. We're probably not going to see Adar again. I and mean, we didn't in season eight. So in episode eight. So I was like, all right, that was the standoff. That means Halbrand is Sauron. So when I saw that even, um, and I didn't realize it at first, actually, because in, in our hot takes talking about that episode, I was really adamant. I was like, there's no way Halbrand is Sauron because yeah, the scenes didn't make sense. I was like really, really adamant. In the camp that but then. Then when I remembered that leak, I was like, so it wasn't, it wasn't from the, the episode itself. Like the information we get in the episode is from a leak that made me like really realize, okay, there's no doubt Halbrand is going to be sour. Um, but so anyway, so that was the twist and I'm sure it was a twist for some people, like for the, for newbies. Sure. Um, it, or it, but it wasn't really a twist for me, um, which is okay. I'm not like criticizing that fact, you know, we're kind of deeper into this than the average show. Also, the stranger being in his star, uh, in his starry, like one of the Meyer. Wow, we knew that. I think we knew that from the jump. I think we guessed, we assumed. That but that is the case. he Gandalf? Is the that question? Was, so that's that's interesting, and that's kind of what I wanted to touch on. I think that's what's revealed by them yes, using the exact says, same. Always line, follow your nose. Which is not a book Gandalf line. It's also another Jackson film called. They like which to is do that. They very they much to like that. to go back. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but they didn't like name him or anything. That's, that's the extent of the confirmation. And you would only get that confirmation. So the extent that that is a twist, like, is that the big reveal of the episode? You have to know the films very deeply. So you have to like line for line. You have to know those films to know that that is revealing he's Gandalf, right? So is that actually the twist? Was that the culmination of that plot line? The big reveal? That's a really interesting way to do it because you're required to have this like kind of relatively deep knowledge. So the average fan will not get that as a reveal. No, but I was thinking about the average fan hearing. I was thinking about this. The average fan hearing, oh, Gandalf is in this show. Like Gandalf, it's Gandalf. The average fan will be really excited about that. And perhaps, perhaps it will draw people in. So it's, I think it's a smart decision. Does it match up with the lore? Am I annoyed about it? Not as much as I would have been, because I understand that they're trying to, they need to appeal to a very wide audience here. And the average person is going to be like, oh, Gandalf, cool. Maybe I should give this show a chance. I know who Gandalf is. Um, yeah, I mean, I get that argument. I've, I've heard people say it. I, I don't, I don't think I think that it's, it will get them that far, like get them that much extra that they wouldn't have had otherwise, especially now at this point. Like it's going into season two. You know, are they really going to be roping in new fans Maybe. who know Lord of the Rings enough and like have watched the films enough to know who Gandalf is and to get excited by that fact, but who haven't been watching the show already? You know what I mean? So I, if it was revealed at like, you know, at the beginning of the first season, if that was a way to get viewers in to start at the beginning. Sure. But, you know, you have to have been watching the show to learn this. Or you're you're reading Lord of the Rings articles. I don't know. I just don't think that like it's getting that much from a marketing perspective. But I mean, I, I suppose I understand it a little bit. You know, reasonable minds uh, can differ on that point. Yeah, I 
I had certainly, there were certain things within the show that I was just like, huh, I don't understand why. I guess I just don't understand why. I don't understand why Diverge so much from the books when I feel like there's great material there that like you could have woven in. Maybe they're trying to reimagine or just, you know, yeah, uh, reinvent. And I, I understand that too. But I do feel like, man, it works so well to stick closely to the books with the Jackson films. You know, why mm-hmm. not do that again? I mean, there um, isn't as much book to stick to. No, there's to be not. Fair. But there's things like, I mean, all the forging of the rings. All of this is so different. Right. Let's okay. Um, but before we get to that, you know, uh, sticking with the the stranger, do you think there's any chance that he's not Gandalf? And let me tell you why I think there's a glimmer of possibility. Um, the the big confirmation, quote unquote, that he's Gandalf is he's citing a line that Gandalf said in the Fellowship. Um, Fellowship of the Ring in Moria, he says, follow your nose to Meriadoc, to, to Mary. So, okay, so this is a line from Gandalf. So by putting it in the mouth of this Istari, we're invited to believe that it must be the same person because only the same wizard would say the same phrase. And I get that. And I think that's probably like 95% true. But something that they have been doing regularly in this show is they'll, they'll take lines and scenes um, and they'll just put them in the mouth of somebody else. Like, most yeah. of the time that they do this, they're giving it to somebody else. Sometimes, like, for example, another line that they transplanted was um, when the mystics were talking to the stranger and saying, and the stranger's like, oh, you know the stars. And they're like, oh, that's the hermit's hat. Uh, you can only see those in, I forget the line, but exactly where they're like, rune in, in rune where the stars are strange. That was exactly line for line, um, a quote that Aragorn said. When he talked about his travels and how he went out east to to ruin where the stars are strange. Okay, so they're taking a line from Aragorn and putting it in the mouth of a mystic. But clearly that mystic is not Aragorn. And they've done that yeah. a number of times throughout the season. So uh, there's a chance I that they're just I like, well, we're just going to. Yeah, but I think I have such little confidence now because I'm like, well, there's been some really obvious. Uh, uh, like, <clears throat> I haven't been very surprised. Yeah, like it would be a weird choice. I mean, they would have to know that doing it with this stranger in the with the stranger in the season finale that everyone's going to take that to mean that they're Gandalf that he is Gandalf so Mm -hmm. it would be kind of silly for them to do what I'm suggesting which oh we're just going to transplant lines and it doesn't actually mean he's Gandalf like that would actually be silly even though I actually hope that that's the case because I still wanted to be a blue wizard I would prefer that universe but um but yeah um Perhaps it's still a blue wizard. Perhaps. Well, that can be I'm saying 5%. I, I give 5% yeah, on Yeah, 5%. Maybe 5%. Because... Yeah. Mm, yeah. I think <laughs> because it's clear now you're that... You're saying they, there's a chance. Yeah, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But shall we... Should we go to the beginning of the episode? Because uh, yes. it starts with the stranger. And the yes. very first little lo- scene from the episode kind of mirrors the opening shot of the prior episode in terms of it's a close up mm-hmm. of someone's eye opening. And I appreciated that. It was just a little fun, fun connection, little bookends. Yes. Yes. Um, I love the scenes with the stranger and the mystics. Oh, their aesthetic is so good. And yeah. the shape shifting. So creepy and so yeah. dark. I loved those scenes. I just think the mystics were incredibly well done. Scary. Downright scary. 
and intense. Um, I thought the dialogue between them and and the and the Astari, the wizard, were great. I love when he says, you know, from shadow you came and casts them back into the shadow. Yeah. What do you think I, is happening there exactly? Um, you know, I think he's it's I think in that scene I, mean, I really what are enjoyed they? What are they I think to have come I think from the cl- shadow? Yeah, I think it's clear that they well, it's not clear. They could be corrupted uh human beings who are more god kind of worshippers. Pre- that's kind of what they're presented to be, right? I mean, right. they, they, they seem, seem like human. Corrupted human beings who dabble with dark arts, who dabble with dark magic, whatever you want to call it, powers that are above the flesh. They dabble in that. They could be those. They could be I love Not of oh, the flesh, but over the flesh. Exactly, which was a recurring theme. I really love when we see them sort of in that otherworldly, um, otherworldly white ghost color. Yeah, that sort of spectral. It's calling back visage. to yeah. It's calling back to when the Jackson the Nazgul. Films, the Nazgul yeah. when he puts on the ring. Well, that and that's cool. what that's what was a little confusing because I mean I saw. Uh, um, um, before I, I joined, I did hop on Twitter and I saw one person go like, is that a Nazgul? And of, like, of course it can't be, or at least it shouldn't be, um, because they just started forging the rings of power. So unless Sauron was like forging other rings all by himself and they're really twisting that up, like they're not Nazgul. But are they people who think... are existing in the unseen realm and why? You know, does I don't that mean think that, that they're Sauron ever going to explain. I don't think they're going to explain these characters. I think these are corrupted beings. Oh, they can't. Not, they can't not. I don't think. I. You think they would just not explain what was going on there? Uh, there's so much else to get to. It's like there's so much else. We need a Numenor. We need. We're going to continue with. Yeah, but you then know, why, like, it's kind of like the Chekhov's gun thing. Like, why would you introduce? They're so detail oriented in the show. Okay, like, they I don't, could be wrong. They don't are they so detail oriented? Are are they not like the, the lines and themes and character like everything is I they're very deliberate about what they're doing nothing's accidental for the for the most part I mean hmm. I have complaints about certain things but um I I don't think that they're just like ah we'll just get some like evil guys and when they die they like turn into spectral shapes that just happen to look exactly like the Nazgul okay uh, but well, we're not gonna worry about what it means like that that would seem way less thoughtful than we've seen from these showrunners up yeah up now. you're probably right like maybe maybe we'll see more from easterling i mean they're in rune so maybe we'll see more of rune and maybe you know i mean are here's a question are they dead by doing um, whatever he did to them did the stranger yeah, kill them yeah looked pretty clear i mean the ter- okay the cgi there i didn't love i felt like there was too much like let's turn them in the moths and then they float away there well, that's was why little... like, I was like, why moths? That's an interesting, like, why moths? Is it it yeah. seems so random. I mean, I think they're gone. They're dead. Well, here's the thing, okay. Uh, let's, com- again, go back to the Nazgul comparison, right? The Nazgul uh, don't, don't live or die by the destruction of their physical forms because they don't really have physical forms, right? They they wear cloaks um, so that they can move, move around, um, but they're not really physical beings anymore. They are spiritual beings that primarily live in the unseen world um are and by using that same sort of spectral visage we're kind of being told that there's something similar here that these beings live somewhat in the unseen world and and also like there was a time sadduck stabbed one of them in the foot and she let out this roar that was inhuman like it was not a normal human scream 
And so I think we're being told like there's something inhuman about these characters. And so I think, yeah, they were being like kind of scattered to the winds. Like he expelled them. He, he, he cast away their physical forms, which maybe aren't even real bodies. They're just like raiment, like the way that Meyer can don and take off raiment um, at will. And he just kind of scattered their, their spirits. So I think there's a possibility that we will see them again, that they will like, um, you know, go back to wherever they came from and be rehoused, you know, or, or get new bodies or something. So I, I think there's a chance we might see these characters again, because it would also seem a mm. terrible waste to introduce these fascinating characters with like really cool clothes. And they seem like powerful characters, like really meaningful for them to just die kind of unceremoniously. I was like, cause I was thinking at first I thought they were, they were dead out. So I was like, what's the point? Like, what was the point of introducing these characters? Nothing really happened other than to just battle with the stranger. But that's what not happened really is they revealed that he is not Sauron and that he's something else and that he's a wizard and he's powerful. You know, if that yeah, might be the they, only purpose they serve. I don't but know. They didn't need to create these characters for that purpose yeah. because we found out that Halbrand is Sauron in the same episode. So was it just for the Astari name drop? Was that the only reason? Also, why do how do they know about the Astari, by the way? Why do you think that they know the, know the name yeah, of the Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, because there might be another one. Yeah, that's what I'm there. thinking. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, hopefully we see the other one. Because they say, like, he's he's one of the others or something like that. He's, he's an mm-hmm. other. I forget exactly the line. But basically referencing, right. like, that they are aware of the concept that there are these other Maiar-type beings in Middle Earth. So I would bet that there is. I mean, if we're going with canon, A, Gandalf wouldn't arrive till the Third Age, but okay, he's being pushed to the second age, but he still wouldn't have been the first. Mm-hmm. The blue wizards were supposed to have come first. So maybe they didn't monkey with the blue wizard timeline too much. Maybe the blue wizards have been there for like a thousand years yeah. or something like that. And that's, yeah, that's totally possible. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, I really, really enjoyed those scenes. So I would love if we got more of that. That would be Did you, so great. I'm, I'm actually a little surprised to hear that you enjoyed all those scenes that much. It did. Because they yeah. were they were action. They were all action. There was really no other yeah, purpose to those scenes. I think I, I was mean, just so floored purpose. that they had these like female um powerful villains. I don't know. It was different. It was like so different for the Tolkien world. Uh-huh. And their aesthetic was so cool. It just something we haven't seen before, so it was exciting to me. Yeah. And again, I thought the dialogue was really well done. Um it was a little jarring to have like them and the Harfoots who are just so like goofy and lighthearted, but then it was kind of a nice combo because they added mm-hmm. like the levity and it didn't take itself like too too seriously. So yeah, I well, enjoyed the, it very fortunately, much. Fortunately, the Harfoots weren't goofy in that scene. No, that they battle, weren't. Really. And and Sadok dying. I mean, so that was a beautiful. It was scene. beautiful. He just wanted to watch the sunrise. Like mm-hmm. all of that, I thought was really really well done. And I think thematically important as well because he mm-hmm. accepts his death, which is something that mortals otherwise do not do to right. you know, great consequences, i.e. the Numenorians. Yeah. There was so, just it was full of Tolkienian themes there, especially, you know, the scene where she's saying, you know, you're gonna decide, you get to decide. And that's a big Tolkienian theme and very big in the Judeo Christian, you know, tradition as well, is saying it's always a it's always um there's always this tension between is it is it fate, your destiny, or choice, free will, or or fate, destiny, God's will? Right, 
Right. Um, and I think that was, they were trying to sort of explore a little bit of that theme in this. Yeah. Like he's exploring who he is. Does he get to choose? Is his right. nature evil or does he get to decide that he's good? You know, and I right. like, I enjoyed seeing that depicted. It was, sure. a, it was definitely heavy handed, but it, it still, it still worked on some levels. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't jump the shark for me. Like it, you know, it almost got there with in the battle where they're saying, oh, he's not Sauron, he's the other one, he's the Astari, he is, and then he says, I am good, you know, and then blast them into oblivion. That almost was a little too much for me, but I actually kind of liked it because they set it up, you know, mm-hmm. the, him wondering, am I good, am I peril, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it felt it felt earned, it felt genuine. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a one-liner. He wasn't being Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, you know, I'll be back, I am good, you know? Yeah. It, it fit, it worked, because he really was in that moment, like, I know who I am, I am good. Um, and it's like, I like yeah. that. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. I think you touching on the fate concept is is really good one because I think like in Tolkien, it's hard to unravel the Gordian knot that is the fate concept. Um, and Tolkien yeah. does a beautiful job of exploring it narratively. Um, and when it comes to fate in Tolkien, I think you're never fated to like be a bad person. You know, you always have chances to redeem yourself. That's like one thing. I think even Sauron. Even Sauron, even Morgoth got multiple chances to redeem himself, right? Redemption is always available and you get to choose who you are. Um, the way fate works, however, is if you choose to be bad, it will still work, end up serving Eru Uluvatar's ends. It will still be part of the tapestry that that the one god is, is weaving. But... Um, you know, you're not fated to be evil, right? No one's fated to be evil. So, and he wonders in that moment, like, because they showed him somehow, they did something with his mind, right? They revealed to him who he was. And that's what he said. Um, you know, they showed me who I am, which basically they probably showed him Sauron, who Sauron is, and told him this is you. And so for a moment, he's probably thinking, oh, I, maybe I'm this horrible, horrible being who's been, you know, being horrible to people for millennia. Um, and Nori just this simple little Harfoot gives him the greatest gift, which is you get to decide right here and right now who you are going to be going forward. And he chooses to be yeah. good. It's really, it was, it does work. It really, yes, it, nice. it was a great moment. It was probably, I don't want to, uh, well, I don't know if it was my favorite. It might've been my favorite sequence of, of the episode. Um, just well done. And I love, love, you know, the pairing of Nori and this is starry. I love that she goes mm-hmm. off with him Saying goodbye to the family was pretty heart wrenching. Saying goodbye to Poppy was so heart wrenching. Um, just continuing on. I with did their think story those line. scenes, the heart wrenching goodbyes, it was a little too long. It was <laughs> a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. But yeah, like, it was probably Poppy was does a, like a, a mini goodbye, and then they do this. So okay, to be fair, one <laughs> of the things that I love most about this show is that in individual scenes, the way they write the scenes the scenes have room to breathe, right? Mm-hmm. They give the dialogue room to breathe. There's silences. There's there's space. There's uh, moments where they're communicating via their eyes and, and not with words. And they give these individual scenes all this time to breathe. That's wonderful. I love that. They just did one too many of those with yeah. the, the Harfa goodbyes because Poppy gave a little goodbye and then you have this long sequence with the family and it's beautiful. And then she's out of there. And then Poppy comes in and they're doing like slow-mo and hugging and it's like another like emotional uh, high that I'm supposed to, you know, after coming off, just coming off one saying goodbye yeah. to the parents. I was like, all right. Like, I actually kind of like laughed a little bit. I was later. like, this is too much. 
Yeah, they should, probably should have. I felt like they should have broke and gone back to another storyline and have Poppy like trail them for a little bit and give that goodbye oh, later. Oh, idea. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. because yes, you're right. It was like too much emotion, heightened emotion for too prolonged a period of time, which doesn't right. work. Right. Yeah, you um, can't stay in that that headspace for. You that can't sustain of time. that emotional timbre, like tone, for that long. But I did think the acting was really phenomenal there. Yes. Between yeah, yeah, Poppy yeah. and Nori. No complaints there. Love, love that friendship. Hope we see more of it somehow. Even though they just said goodbye, but yeah, I love the um, actress who plays Poppy. Like mm-hmm, she's great. Her, her the physic the physicality of her acting like the way she moved like the way all the Harf- the I don't know if you noticed but all the Harfits moved in kind of a yes specific way like the way they walked it was a little bit uh, abnormal and I, mm-hmm. I, I think that was probably deliberate and she does a great job of that and her facial expressions the kind of like she's a little unsure but then these there the some of the emotional moments where uh you know it's revealed like all the people that she's lost uh, just so, so much great acting, like subtle acting from that actress. Yeah. I really hope we get more of her and the Harfoot caravan, even though I think we probably won't get much. Like, I, I think, think we'll get probably... the Harfoot caravan, but yeah, I mean, um, if, if we don't get the Harfoot caravan, we don't get Poppy unless she splits off and has her own little adventure. But or I think maybe we're just she gonna meets be back with... up with, it would be great to me if she met back up with uh, Nori because yeah, I yeah, just yeah. love their dynamic so much, but because yeah. um, I'm not, I have no idea what they're gonna do with the Astari and and I do Nori, wonder. But... It is interesting that Nori would go with the stranger. Um, just you know why? Like why would the stranger? He doesn't now that he he knows who he is now. He's presumably if he's got full control over his faculties at this point. He he basically he doesn't know everything. But he knows enough about who he is and why he's there um, or like where he needs to go. And at least he has like control over his powers. I, th- I think that's what they're telling us. So then why is he going to bring this like little Harfoot along? Like what can she actually do to help him? I get that he likes her and they're friends, but he's also taking her into great danger. Right. Yeah. And it I definitely, know that he did that with Bilbo. They but just like... want to. Yeah. They just want to <laughs> call back. They just want like, look, the wizard hobbit pairing and it's a great pairing and it works. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it is I, It is entirely consistent with like what he did with with Bilbo. Right? Yeah. Like, I'm kind of fine with it. Um, yeah. But yeah. So that whole storyline, I thought, ended, you know, predictably well. Yeah. How did you like the callback to Fellowship of the Ring, the standoff between Gandalf and Saruman with like, in that fight, Saruman uses his staff to like levitate Gandalf. And that happened again in the in the battle. Did you catch that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that he got the staff and then we were like, yes, the wizard with the staff, like it all clicked. Um, and but then it evaporates. He like destroys it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the fight sequence was just... Kind of awesome. So it's, I think, Special okay. So were good. This is, uh, I'm, I'm of two minds of this. It is good. It, like, special effects were great uh, in terms of like structuring and blocking an action scene. And I'm not like an expert in analyzing that sort of thing, but it felt very good to me. Like, in, just the way they structured the action scene. Um, there was tension. I followed it. I was into it. Uh, the Tolkienian side of me, in terms of like what I generally prefer with Tolkienian action, specifically action that involves magic, is I want to see less of it. Like less, like not because Tolkien didn't have a lot of actual magic, like demonstrable magic. Mm-hmm. The most we get of it is like Tol- Gandalf has fireworks and he flew, f- he threw flaming pine cones, and uh, there are other examples as well. But 
like what we got in that fight scene was way more explicit about what their magical powers were than we get anywhere else in most of the legendarium or at least in Lord of the Rings. Silmarillion, obviously you get, you get all kinds of wacky stuff. Um, but you know, he's controlling nature. He's creating winds. He's controlling fire. He there's, uh, they're pushing each other with like, I don't know, force pushes like at star Wars. Um, so I generally prefer in my Tolkien that magic be more implied than express mm. because then I start wondering like, yeah. well, exactly what are their powers? Like what, you know, what, I and think, I will expect him fight, to use those powers yeah. later. I don't know. I didn't feel like the fights was that very long though. Like they were cut. It wasn't that long. The fight. No, sequence. it wasn't the, it wasn't the length of it. Like as a fight sequence in TV or in a movie, it was great. I, I'm just kind of thinking out loud about this issue about how I prefer Tolkien magic to mm. be like magic in the legendarium to be depicted. And I generally want it to be a little bit more like off camera kind of implied, um, Right. Not, yeah. not kind of Harry Pottery, like because it, it felt like a Marvel uh, or Harry Potter type of action sequence. Where I'm like, oh, you know, okay, they can levitate and they can control fire in this way, and how is this gonna, you know, these are his powers, uh, mm-hmm. and they actually kind of like listed off what Sauron's powers are in, in mm-hmm. a very like express way. So when I start thinking about, well, what exactly are his powers, like a, like as if he's an X Man, um, it just change, it, it makes it a little too tangible yeah. and therefore not as elevated as I, I usually feel like magic and Tolkien is. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a very good point. And I think that if they, they really relegated that though, to one episode in that's a true. series, that's yeah. going to be five seasons. So if it had been scattered throughout, I think I would have been much more bugged by it. And I didn't even feel like it dominated the episode. Even if it... Okay, so it was first of all, it was relegated to one episode. Second of all, I don't feel like it dominated the episode or else I would have been much more annoyed. Because I totally agreed and I feel the same way about like action sequences, period. You're going to lose me if it's like too right. much action and not enough character development and good dialogue. But I thought, you know, I didn't think it was very long. I didn't think it was overkill. Um, You know, you and know it, what? You are so right, and you have kind of totally convinced me um, to kind of change my, like, even <laughs> to the extent I don't like, like, yeah, like, the issue I just identified, I feel that way, but um, the fact that it only really showed up as an issue that offended me in, episode it was in eight. like, a few minutes in episode eight, where the, 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 ten, the pressure is on for them to introduce all that kind of right. stuff, all right. We get a little bit of it in the season finale, but we haven't gotten it the whole season. Actually, like we've been really spoiled, and for the most part, this this series yeah. has been very much in line with my preferences. Our in terms wants of and magic. needs and wants. Yeah. So actually, Definitely. I'm very, very, I'm not very happy about it. All right, great. I feel okay. Job done. We can end the episode. No, we have so much more to get to. Let's move to. Yeah. Let's move to. I mean, the main, the entree. Hal Hal Branatar. Yeah, Halbrand. Let's talk about. Let's unpack Galadriel <laughs> Hal and Halbrandatar. All that. Oh stuff. my goodness. <laughs> okay, oh I want to hear your goodness. thoughts because we haven't talked. I haven't been on the internet because I've been ruminating. I've been marinating. Yeah. I don't know how to feel. It, I go back and forth. I want to hear what you what you think. Okay. Okay. Someone actually okay. texted me. Someone, one of my good friends, texted me and was like, "What do you think?" 
And I was like, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Um, Stay tuned. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't give her anything because I was like, I'm still deciding how I want to go about this because I'm not surprised. Surprise right. is right. not the right word. Okay. So I'll just give you like my high level. Obviously, I've been clear that Halbrand is Aunt Sauron is not my was not what I was hoping for. It's not my favorite outcome. Um, I, w- I was hoping that wasn't the case. But in the universe where that is the case, and I there's a lot of things to like about it. Thematically, in terms of the relationship with the Galadriel, the things that they're setting up, there's a lot that really works. And I won't go into yeah. the details on that, but we've yeah. kind of talked about it. Um, so in a universe where Halbrand is Sauron, um, I thought that they, the scenes were all really good. Like, yeah. Uh, all the stuff with Celebrimbor, the way he manipulated Celebrimbor very subtly to introduce certain ideas to push yes. him in a, in a direction. Coax you know, the materials together. Yes. Draw to force them. Yeah. And that was the way Sauron was working Celebrimbor. Celebrimbor thought that some of these ideas were his own, right? Galadriel asks, when, when Celebrimbor says, you know, we're going to create a power not uh, of the flesh but over flesh. Gladriel, obviously, her antenna go up because she remembers that from Adar, and she asks him, like, where did you get those words? And, you know, he's kind of lost in thought, and she asked, was Halbrand there? And he's like, I, I don't know. I think they were my words, right? Of course they were Halbrand's words, but they were so subtly incepted into Celebrimbor's mind. Celebrimbor thought his, he was, psyche. his own idea. So slick, yes. I, so I, I loved all of that, um, seeing them work together, and I, so I liked the scenes. Um on the flip side, the thing I am so sad about is I think this might be all that we get of Anatar, right? And I thought, I thought the Anatar drama was going to be like a season-long arc, you know, yeah. of Sauron in in Eregion with Celebrimbor and like Same. very slowly ingratiating himself and undermining Galadriel and, and working that on the been rings so and fun stages. To watch. And you know, I actually another thought that I had a big theory that I never expressed on here, and I'm sure, like I know I've seen this elsewhere, but I had thought, I thought very much that they remember in the beginning they had said he has not one name but many. I had uh-huh. I had absolutely thought that Sauron was going to be multiple entities that would come together mm. and merge at some point, but I'm you know a hundred percent certain now. It is, we have our Halbrand Sauron, period, end of story. Um, You know, what he does, the way he does it, I still think there's going to be a lot of good things to come, some intrigue there. I do think we're going to see the other Rings of Power Forge, which will be cool. I mean, we've only seen the three elven rings. We still have to see the dwarves get their rings. We still have That's to see all I'm these so other rings. That's what I'm so confused about. So I think there is a chance. I don't, I'm not sure how it would work, but... Obviously, like you said, they have to forge all the other rings. It is um, the rings of power. Yeah. It is the rings of power. They have to be forged. And in the books, they're forged by the Elven Smiths of Oregion with the assistance of Sauron. So they kind of reverse the order of things is they they they're working on their craft. They they make lesser rings. They're exploring it. They're getting better. They're getting better. And then eventually they they forge the rings that are known as, you know, the the nine rings for men, the seven rings for the dwarves, and they culminate in the three rings for the elves, which Celebrimbor makes on his own without Sauron's assistance, and then Sauron goes off and make makes the one ring. They skip over all the experimental phases, all the other rings, and go straight to, well, Sauron's not even around, he's already gone, but the elves make the three rings, that's their one shot, and they do it right, right off top. Um... 
So for Sauron to be involved in the forging of those other rings, he would have to come back in some form, um, either as Halbrand and Celebrimbor accepts him, because remember, Galadriel did not reveal that he's Sauron. So maybe Celebrimbor is so, you know, smitten with Halbrand that when Halbrand, because you see the look on his face when Galadriel's like, no one's to treat with him. And Elrond's like, why? You know, you're making this hard to trust you. And she's like, right. you got to trust me. And so Elrond's like, okay, you're my friend. So Elrond will stick to that. But Celebrimbor doesn't seem so happy about it, mm. you know, for, for that, you know, the look on his face. And you don't hear him confirm. So he kind of moves on and says, all right, what do we do? But I think that he could be tempted. Like Halbrand would come back and let me help you. Uh, and maybe Galadriel's just not around to mm. tell him the truth because she didn't tell him in that moment. So I could see potentially them bringing Hal Branatar back and just getting in with Celebrimbor and just nobody else knows what they're up to. Yeah, maybe so. And Celebrimbor, what I really liked, you know, I was such a hater of this, like, where is, where, why is he cast as Celebrimbor? I don't get it. But I think Charles Edwards is doing a great job. You see that he's ambitious and he's really driven by improving his craft that is like his ultimate motivation yeah so him falling in with anatar sauron is you know really perfect in this conception of kellen brimbor which is super super different than what i had in my head but it works all right so i want to talk i i'm just getting warmed up on anatar so um there <laughs> you can't you can't stop the hell anatar train once it leaves the station okay uh Choo-choo. Okay, so one of the one of the things that I feel funny about with long story short, high level, I really like the way they revealed that Halbrand is Sauron. Like Same. I like the scenes. I, mm-hmm. I, I I liked it. I just really liked it. You know, I can go back and watch it and I can get into it. Um and yeah. we'll talk yeah. about that. But I wanna sort of like air my gripe, which is I've had all these reasons why I didn't think Halbrand could be Sauron. Namely, like, why is he on a raft in the middle of the ocean? Mm-hmm. Um the way he's behaving in certain scenes with Galadriel, the scene with Adar, like um, he's pissed at Adar and Adar did something to him. And Adar said, did I hurt a child? Like the context of that doesn't clearly scream Sauron. So there's an explanation for all those scenes, which I, which I was expecting when it was revealed that he was Sauron, those scenes would be explained as well. And like you see this all the time. It's kind of a trope. When there's a mystery box that's been revealed, a mystery box that's been solved, part of the scene where that conveys the big reveal is it's basically like a bunch of quick cut flashbacks where like you flash back to all these moments and then show something that you missed that that makes it clear, oh, that he is Sauron or why he's doing this, why he's doing that, and why it's consistent with him being Sauron. I'm glad they didn't do that, the quick cut thing, because that would have been like a little bit too overused. I'm glad they didn't do that. But I wish they had done something to convey the information that that type of reveal usually gives you. I still have no idea why he was on a freaking... If he's Sauron, why was he on a raft with a bunch of other people in the middle of the ocean? I think that they're going to. I mean, I think that they're going to in future seasons, like, unpack a little bit more. Because clearly he's a central character. He is the main villain. They're going to unpack a little bit more. How did he get to this point where he was thinking about, you know, becoming repentant or, you know, once his his master was defeated, how did he get here? I think they're going to unpack that now that the mystery is solved in the future. Season. And they may, but I ha- kind of have an issue with that and they could do it well, but they've already explored. They have explored 
seemingly all these scenes that he may have sort of a repentant nature. He talks about in the scene with Galadriel when Morgoth was defeated. It was like a clenched fist was released. Like I was released I from the clenched fist. I feel the light like, of the one again. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's not entirely clear to me whether he's whether that was true, whether that's a ma- manipulation. Like it's not clear. And maybe it's okay that it's not clear. Maybe that's kind of the point of Sauron. Mm-hmm. That you don't know. Like he is Sauron the deceiver, right? We don't know if. We don't need to know if it's all true, except we've spent all this time with Halbrand as a character. It would be nice to know what all those scenes meant and the actual dramatic import of everything that's going on. Like, I, I want that to be revealed at some point. And maybe they will go back and clarify why he's on the raft. My issue with that is if you're going to clarify that, if you're going to reveal that, you do it in season one. Like, this whole season was about yeah. Sauron is in hiding, we don't know who he is, and then the mystery box is solved. Like, for what purpose would they go back and explore why he's on the raft in a future season now that he's Sauron? Like, it, it would seem like it would detract from whatever the new arc is for Sauron in season two. Well, maybe three, just four, a five. quick, like, when he was recruiting, when he's building his followers and telling his story. Because we know he builds an army and he recruits followers. He's yeah. going to tell his story. Sauron will tell his story because mm. it needs to be a compelling one for his for his posse, for his gang that or his army that he's going to build. Ah, so he's got to recruit them. He's got to recruit them for sure. He's got to. But start so he would tell them about scratch. how he was like. He yeah, you know, he'll tell them after Morgoth after Morgoth's fall, etc. etc. But now I know that I must return and I must restore peace to this Middle Earth. And you know what? I really like, I like a lot the word, I will restore peace and order to Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Like, this is something we hear all the time in our real life. Mm. Like, that's a very Hitler-esque thing to say. Yes. Like, people yes. in chaos or people who lack prosperity want order and peace and, like, by any means necessary, which yeah. is a trap. Well, and this is... This is, you know, demagogue's favorite hits is yeah, yeah, the, exactly. the world is full of corruption and chaos Let's and I am down. the only yes, one I'm that can answer. bring order. I'm the answer. I mean, we see that in, you know, politicians to this day who of shall remain nameless for the purpose of this podcast. Totally. <laughs> which is not political. But um, yeah. Yeah. And and, you know, we see that. I mean, he's basically like Daenerys Targaryen. It's the exact same type of thing. He's like, mm-hmm. We're, I'm going to bring peace. And and she's like, oh, do you want to bring peace or do you want to rule? And he's like, I see no difference, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is, I, I like that they're going in this direction. I do too. That his his motivations to some degree, again, if that's all honest, if he's actually being honest to some degree that he's really thinking these things, um, that his motivations to some degree are genuine and positive. Um, but it's just that who he is as a person, he he is not Gandalf, you know, he, he can't allow other people to have free will and to express that free will in a way that contradicts his own. He must dominate. He just, Mm -hmm. that's how he is. And so, yeah, he wants to bring peace and order. He has, he wants to heal the hurts that he helped contribute to, but, um, the way he's going to do that, it must be his way or the highway. Right. And that, cause that's just who he is. So I kind of like all that. I really do. I like that Um, too. Because it's also very consistent with the the books, right? It's, it's lore consistent. Yeah, there's some not lore consistent, many not lore consistent things. I have a feeling you're about to get to that, so go ahead. <laughs> mm, uh, I mean, uh, really the, uh, okay, the main gripe is the one I already aired, which okay. is um, 
that there's all these questions that are unanswered and I I don't I'm not as optimistic as you that they will be answered. I think that the time to answer them has been done, like they won't serve any dramatic purpose to be answered later. And if they do answer them, okay, great, but it's kind of like it will it will be messy and why are they answering it in season 2? Um it will have like the through line will be lost a little bit. The reason for for revealing uh everything that was going on uh in those scenes with Halbrand. I just I don't see them spending time on that in season two when they have so much else to do. I just so, think, yeah. yeah I, it, I think it was... That, that's not ideal. I like that he was talking about having Galadriel by his side, ruling this Middle Earth, you know, together. I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. That Like, that's new. That's different. Definitely. That's so interesting. Such an yeah. interesting departure. Um, the whole aspect of him saying... You know, well, you said that it didn't matter what I did, that I could, that Mm -hmm. all would be forgiven. That's what you said, Galadriel. Like, is that not the case? I kind of like that they pushed that and explored that, but it does sort of run contrary to, in the book, Sauron is not, Sauron never really explores redemption in the books ever. So that is quite Not Third Age Sauron. Not Third Age Sauron, for sure. I mean, his function in that narrative is already totally fallen. Even but, Second Age Sauron, like, it never is, well, well, I guess that is technically consistent. I was going to say it's never right. genuine. They give us they give us a line that, mm-hmm. and I think even the line that they give us, and I wish I had it up in front of me so I could quote it, but I think even within the line, there's kind of like the author is saying, well, you know, it's we don't know whether or not it's genuine. Maybe it was genuine, mm. but it's unknown. Because, of course, in the history books, Sauron didn't, you know, tell anybody the author, his true intentions. So the author's kind of wondering, like, maybe it was genuine, maybe it wasn't. But so there's room in there for the showrunners to say, yeah, we're going to explore this period of time when Sauron genuinely was exploring yeah. healing Middle Earth. Um, yeah. So. I think that, yeah, ultimately, I liked the way it was revealed in that I love when she goes back, he's in her mind and he's messing with her memories and he's messing with yeah, her mind. I liked all that. All that was really great. Good dialogue. Really well done. The fact that Halbrand is Sauron, you know, it it bothers me only in that it was so obvious. Even our newbie panel, 100% of the newbies mm. saw it coming. It was yeah, so that surprised obvious. Me that they saw it. I, it surprised me that they saw it coming. It was not obvious. It was obvious to me as a book reader, like all all the breadcrumbs. I obviously picked those up. I did not think anybody else would pick up those breadcrumbs. So I was very curious, like what was the newbie panel scene? Because that made it, it so because it was the them? perfect irony. Because Sauron was right under mm-hmm. her nose, and she was hunting for him, and didn't recognize him when she came across him. So right. it is sort of you know, it was pretty obvious. Right. It was pretty obvious. Okay. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't like. I like that fair form. His fair form, quote unquote, like. You know, as we know in the books that this was his fair form, you know, that he's sort of like right. dashing in a way, like rugged, like your typical right. kind of handsome protagonist, but he ends up being mm-hmm. Sauron. Like, I see all that. I still wish there had been some more complexity to to him. But, you know. Well, I'm, oh, really? I thought they created... If he okay, was, all those scenes are genuine, I think he is very complex. Actually. No, he He's is complex. complex. I than... think, okay, so I wish there had been, like, his identity had been more complex. Like, I wish it hadn't been one person. I do wish it had been. Um, oh, you wanted the Megatron theory behind Siren? Like, he really had been split into multiple people and. Yeah, I mean, sort of I kind of wished that his, you know, his 
Yeah, I think I had wanted something more mind blowing, but it's fine. I'm on board right, now. Right. I'm gonna get on board, as you said. Like <laughs> we have to just let these things go, and and I'm I'm on well, board. Let me now. ask you. Let me ask you this, because again, this goes back to my complaint that the reveal that Halbrand and Sauron did not clarify in any way the prior scenes with Halbrand. Mm-hmm. What is Halbranitar's motive? What has his motive been this entire time? Was there some long con game? Like, was he playing Galadriel in order to get in with the Numenorians? Uh, or was he really escaping his past? Yeah, I think it's intentionally, just... I think it's intentionally ambiguous. Ugh, I hate that. <laughs> I, don't wanna, I think it's I inten- know. No, I think it's intentionally ambiguous. You know, we don't know at this point whether he was scheming the whole time. Because it appears that he wasn't. It appears that he was getting, he was truly seeking peace. Like it appears. That's what it seems like on its first. And that's what he says. It seems like he was seeking peace. He was like, I'm getting away from what I'd done before. He's sort of listless. He's seeking a new life. But when he meets Galadriel, he experiences this surge of power and, you know, is sort of corrupted once again. Um, Like he feels, I think what now, like now having it been confirmed that he is Sauron, the whole like I felt it too moment mm-hmm. in episode seven or whatever. I think that's just like he's feeling a positive connection with another powerful being. Yes. Right. And so that's yeah. why he kind of floats the idea of let's be king. Bind yourself to not, me. Not that I ever think that he would like treat her as an equal or mm-hmm. be a real partner. Right. I, in a way, this is just tr- him trying to dominate her in a different way. Right. And take her off the board also as an opponent, even if he doesn't fully realize it. Right. I think that's what he's doing. Right. Definitely. And I'm sure. One mystery box, I think, uh, that I think. So, like, certainly some questions are not meant to be answered in the first season. They are are setting up questions for future seasons. And I am okay with that to a certain degree. I I just think that some questions are supposed to be wrapped up in in the first season. Like, that's just the way the narrative is, is structured. But, like, one of the questions that I'm okay that they didn't answer is what did Adar mean? When he said, I, you know, split Sauron in two or I cut him open or whatever. Like, we do not know exactly what happened between Adar and Sauron. And right. that's okay because Adar is still alive and Sauron is headed back to Mordor. So there's going to be a showdown of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. Sauron has to take his peeps back from Adar who yeah. loves loves the orcs and the orcs love Adar. So how is he going to do that? There's, we're going to get more revealed about all that for sure. And I'm okay with that piece of it. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. You know, I'm okay with some mysteries remaining intact. Um, I just am really, I just really don't understand yet what Sauron's trajectory was. Like, Adar said he was trying to heal Middle-earth. So that's mm-hmm. a corroboration of Sauron, of Hal Branatar's claim to Galadriel that he wanted to heal there's two people that said he wanted to heal. So I, I think it's probably true. He was seeking, seeking for a power to heal Middle-earth. Let's just call that true. So he spent a millennia or whatever, however long, experimenting on orcs and doing like orc sacrifices to try and play with the unseen world. And then he's on a boat in the ocean. Like, did he give up is I guess what I'm wondering. Did he say like, ah, I, I can't find this power. I'm giving up, throwing in the towel. I'm just going to like. You're like really stuck on like, you need to know why he's on this raft. <laughs> it's the raft. You're like raft a dog with just... a bone. You're like, I can't like. <laughs> it's it's not just. We keep coming it's, back it's, to the raft. 
<laughs> the, just the raft is like just a metaphor for this question about what was Sauron doing and what were his motivations the whole time. Right. It is still entirely unclear to me whether or not he um, really had tr- was was truly running like as Halbrand said he was like just trying to find peace. Whether he was still trying to find the power yeah. that he could use to to heal the world because at the end when he's having the showdown with Galadriel he's acting like that is what I want to do mm-hmm. you know he mm-hmm. I, um right did he just like did he always want to do that but he gave up hope and so then he did have a moment where he was like giving up and as Halbrand wanted to find peace somewhere um and I just wish that was all a little bit more clear and I think it was supposed to be clear and just wasn't uh, is, is perhaps or perhaps as we said he is playing this like he's got this long con going where he's like yeah, that was fine. all an act and really I if needed to get in with Galadriel because I knew I would it would lead me to Lindon and it would Eregion and and get me in with the elves and yeah. so I could yeah like he might we might still find out he was playing along we had a long con going, but if he didn't, what, what would yeah, you prefer? I would prefer he had a long con and was like, I have been scheming this whole time because I guess that's more consistent with the way I think of Sauron, but it's more mm-hmm. complex. Uh, uh, he's more complex of a character if, if truly he was, he was lost, you know, at sea and lost in what do I do next? My, you know, right. Um, but then, as you said, not all of the motivations make sense in that instance. Right. Like, it doesn't all I, work I think, in that instance. Right. I think I like the latter a little better. Like, it doesn't have to be true redemption. He can just, you know, but he he's giving up or he's pausing something, and hopefully it will be explained. But for some reason, mm-hmm. he stops trying to be the Dark Lord. Right. And he's like, I'm just going to go off and do whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But then he comes across Galadriel and he, his nature just ends up taking over. He can't help but yeah. manipulate people, right? He, he's in the cell with Galadriel and he can't help but manipulate Farazhan, right, to improve his station and get the guild crest. To, you know, he can't help but manipulate people at every turn. It's just his nature. And so he kind of, it, it's like, uh, it's just this inexorable momentum within him. And he finds himself pushing forward and pushing forward in this sort of corrupt way. Um, whether or not he consciously is trying to do it, it is just his nature. And so then he finds himself in Eregion and hanging out with Celebrimbor. And now he has access to this great forge and he's encouraging him to like make this power. And now he's realizing now here's a, a way for me to gets, like, drunk fulfill my on plan. It. Yeah. 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 So he kind of like, like he's never fully redeemed, mm-hmm. right? He, he He's never redeemed. But he thinks he is. He's lying to himself. And eventually the lie, the veil that is his own lie falls away over the course of the the series. I think that is, if that is what was going on, I think that's very, very interesting. And more interesting in a way than if he was like just a master strategist just lying to everyone the whole time. Which would also be interesting, but they would have to do a lot of explaining to make that make sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Either way, they have some explaining, some explaining to do. They do, and I hope they, oh, I hope sure. they do it. How great! While we're talking about the rings, though, and just you know, wrapping this up, like how great was the rings actually being forged? I loved seeing them I actually being oh, forged. Yeah. I thought those yeah, were really cool, really cool effects, really cool scenes. All the ring forging scenes, the 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 experimenting with Halbrand there. Like I'm griping about the whole Halbrand thing, but I want to go back to what I said kind of at the top. Was I really liked. 
Mm-hmm. The f- even though it was limited, this is all we get of Anatar, I guess, the Lord of Gifts. It really works. Like, they've compressed everything. Mm-hmm. They created this time constraint. Okay, instead of, like, Celebrimbor wanting to arrest the decay of the world and stop the fading or whatever, they've made it, like, really, really, uh, we have to do this in a couple months, right? And that's a common mm-hmm. uh, uh, screenwriting trick or any sort of, in books even, you know, any sort of authorial trick impose a time constraint because it creates dramatic tension right you know um if if a character has all the time in the world to to do x it's not interesting if they have one day to do it it becomes interesting right Mm -hmm. um so they impose this time constraint and so they've shortened everything and now what was otherwise like years and years of anatar hanging out in a region has become like a week i don't know how long that was um, I wish it was longer, but I get why they did it. And it was so well done. Like, it was well I love done. all those interactions. I love the mechanics of the ring forging. Yeah. Just very so, cool so to cool. see. Very good. I thought dialogue wise, it was good. I like that Gil Gallad was like, at least they stayed true to the books in terms of Gil Gallad saying, no, I'm rejecting this idea. Yes, Move finally on. we get some good Gilgalad. Yeah, because yes. Gilgalad has been somewhat of a disappointment for me in this show. But I'm not as people have been hating on him. I don't hate I it. Not, I just don't. It just he's just I'm like okay. a throwaway character for me. Just like okay. Yeah, whatever. we haven't spent a lot of time with him. He hasn't been super compelling. He's been kind of above it all a little bit, like a little bit aloof as a king, which is yeah. probably intentional. Um, but we'll get a lot more of him as the seasons go on for sure. But yeah. finally we get a moment where he is indeed the wise king. The wise king. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting that, so like in the books, um, Elrond and Galadriel and Gilgalad all reject Anatar, who uh, also in the in the books presents himself as an emissary of the Valar. Mm-hmm. Like he presents himself not as a man, but more like, I think he's cagey about his identity, but he's like, basically I'm, I'm a power, I'm a Maiar, um, but I'm good. He doesn't disclose like that he was a servant of Morgoth. That's all secret. Um, but everybody rejects him except for Celebrimbor. Interesting that in this version, everybody accepts him. Yeah. Everybody. Ke- including Galadriel, up until she discovers he's Sauron. But even after she discovers he's Sauron. So, uh, like in the in the scene with Finrod, so when... Finrod, who was obviously just Sauron, Finrod says, you don't have to tell them who Sauron is. Just let the work continue, right? Mm-hmm. And then she rejects that idea, and like, screw you, you're in my head, Sauron. But guess what? That's exactly what she did. She did not tell people yeah, that's right. that Halbrand was Sauron. She kept that secret and actually used her relationship with Elrond, his covenant to trust her. Said, you said you'd trust me, so trust me now. To, to get him to do something without disclosing this unbelievably important piece of information. Right. I think Gladriel actually super screwed up in this in this episode. Totally. She lies, like, withholds this information, yeah. and gets them to craft the rings when they probably shouldn't they because shouldn't. that's what Sauron wants. She's very, very, very flawed. But I do think this was a smart way to depict the rings being forged and like the nature, yeah. the corrupted nature of the rings and the complicated nature of the rings is like is like confusing even in the books and so i think this was a smart way to depict it i do sometimes though going back to what i said i think near the beginning like i struggle though and i don't know if you do with why didn't they just make the the story of the books 
Like, I don't think that anyone would have had an issue with seeing this exact thing. Like, Sauron coming to Eregion, mm. charming the pants off the elves, forging these rings. Like, I would have liked to see that story. Yeah. And that's so what I struggle I, with a little bit. I'm mm-hmm. not hating all over the show, but I am saying, I guess I'm, I, why? Right. My question is why? It's a good <laughs> story. Nobody had an issue with seeing the Lord of the Rings played out. They didn't have to like change a bunch of stuff and make it exciting. Like we see the Lord, we see the story of the Lord of the Rings as it's written for the most part, you know, well, yes, a lot's changed. Obviously it's adapted for the screen, right. but like, I just wonder at times, why not make the story that was written? And and that's what I that's what I continually wrestle with. Right. Well, that's always that's always a question. But at the same time, um, so the way the story was written, you know, there's a lot of blanks with respect to how Anatar comes to Oregion, how he presents himself. Sure. Um, what are the circumstances with him getting there and ingratiating himself with Celebrimbor? Like I said, it's I think it's implied or he says expressly that he's like a vassal of the the or an emissary of the Valar. So he's a little bit more upfront about like his nature, um, if not his identity. But there's a lot of um, room to play there with like how he gets there. And like I said, like maybe it comes to pass that he returns and he says to Caleb Brimber, look, I'm not just some dude. I am like I am more. I am a power or whatever. Like I am a Maiar. Um, and that we do get something that's a little more true to canon where he represents himself as as a Maiar of good intention. And uh, and we see that play out. That could still happen, but even if not, um, I an issue that that is always something that I struggled with. Like when I would think in my head, okay, how would you depict this plot line? If you're Caleb Brimbor and someone comes knocking on your door and it's like, "Hey, I'm a Maiar," would you be like, "Yeah, but which Maiar are you?" Like I, I lived in Valinor. Like, were you on Smith Street? Or, or Decatur Road, you know, because I, I know I know all the folks over there. Like, which one are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so how could you just be like, ah, I'm like, a, I'm like, Meyer. like, don't ask me who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, he, how could he not be suspicious? How could everyone not be suspicious? Like, they're from Valinor, you know, um, and oh, you're just some lost Meyer that's like hanging around Middle Earth. Um, would they would they not ask questions about? Oh, maybe you were a servant of Morgoth. Like, would that never occur to them? I always had an issue with that. Like, how could he possibly ingratiate himself, um, without raising questions? Um, but at the same time, it does raise questions for Elrond and Gilgalad and Galadriel, and they reject this Anatar figure. And maybe he just is charming enough that he just convinces Celebrimbor, because also Celebrimbor wants to know. So it's, but I I always had questions about how could he arrive there. Um, without questions being raised about his identity, like declaring himself to be, you know, disclosing that he's a Maiar, um, how could he get away with that? Um, and so they just kind of decided to go a different direction here with the show, and and he arrives not as a Maiar, but just as a man, uh, under seemingly not suspicious circumstances. So it is, you know, yeah, it's yeah, it's much creative liberty, but it's interesting. It is interesting, and I'll absolutely keep watching. Um... A couple other. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're locked in. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we're locked in for sure. Okay. You know, um, uh, one thing before we move on from the ring forging st- stuff. One thing I noticed for the first time. So the three elven rings, they all have different stones, different yes. colored stones. Seeing them all together, and also in the show when they originally intend to forge a crown, mm-hmm. not a ring, mm-hmm. a crown to place on Gilgalad's head. Mm-hmm. 
A crown with three jewels. Sound familiar at all? Morgoth's crown with the Silmarils. Yes. Interesting that Sauron would suggest crafting a crown with three gems, which I think these gems, it's implied that they are very, like the very significant gems within Middle Earth because Caleb Mumber said, I'd hope to do something similar to the Silmarils with, with, um, for Middle Earth. So like these gems were probably extremely precious and, you know, not the Silmarils, but very, very special. So placing these gems in a crown of power to place on Gilgalad's head, which Sauron, I'm sure he was like planning on yoinking that crown as soon as it was forged. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's a great catch. I didn't even remember that, but, um, you know, it, yeah, I think like you, I just wish there had just been more time of him being there and putting more of these suggestions. Like, I love that he suggested, you know, let's try stretching it out and let's try doing this and Mm -hmm. call it a gift. But I just enjoyed those scenes so much that I wanted more of that. I, uh, um, yeah, the, the acting was so good, too, because Celebrimbor is, I mean, Halbrand's supposed to be a low man, a nobody, mm-hmm. right? And Celebrimbor is Lord Celebrimbor, a legend. Mm-hmm. And yet Halbrand, in handling the Mithril and asking his questions, is not in any way deferential. He's talking over Celebrimbor. He's interrupting him. Celebrimbor is clearly, like, wanting to get the ore back, wanting to end the conversation. Like, there's a couple of those moments. But Halbrand just, like... Asks another conversation, uh, asks another question, and it keeps it going, and and then then Caleb Brimbor gets intrigued, and the the tone of the conversation changes. Yeah, but I just perfect. thought that was so interesting, like, yeah, just so perfect. It's great. What did you, th- what did you think of the Finrod scene? Finrod scene. Um, I, you know, I I liked it. I mean, I liked that he was in in her mind, and he was, you know, saying all the things that she wanted to hear from her brother, and her brother was, you know talking to her convincing her to just let the work continue <laughs> um right yeah i mean i i liked that whole sequence and i espe- i especially appreciated that they took it back to the beginning with that scene yeah you know a call yep. back Good to the very end. very beginning and that yeah perfect yeah. little bookend there um and obviously the scene with sauron on the water was like such a pivotal moment where Halbrand turns and you see that dark side and he starts yelling, like loved the way that was yeah. done and the reflection of those two in the water together. That that was all great. That that was great for me. I really liked it. I liked it even better than the opening sequence, actually. Yeah, which you didn't like. Which I did not much. like at all. Not not much. I actually thought Finrod it was interesting. I don't know if it was deliberate. Maybe I'm just seeing something that's not there. But I thought they made him look creepier. Oh like, yes, not he exactly was darker. the same. Definitely, his hair was darker. His face, yeah. yes. Like the makeup was just a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I thought that was interesting. And uh, you know, I'm gonna when we do our full season review, it, you know, and or future episodes that talk about themes, I'm really gonna have to like dig into like touching the darkness is is a metaphor that is used and reused and explored in this, in this series. And mm-hmm. it is never clear when Galadriel is doing the right thing or like when she's touching the darkness and when she's succumbing to the darkness, you know, and she's trying to work that out and I'm trying to work that out. And I love that aspect of this, this uh, series. Yeah. Cleverly done for sure. It's complicated. You know, it's, it's certainly they're exploring these like, 
they've given these characters a lot of different shades and their dynamic. Um, and I really appreciate that. Like none of these characters are flat for me. All of them have a lot of right. different dimensions to them, including, you know, the ones we haven't talked about yet, uh, which we should get to because we need to wrap up soon. But um, like it- one, one last thing I want to mention before I forget, cause I won't get a chance. I'm sure on our fellowship stream, but um, did you, uh, I, one thing that I thought of is so in the face off with Halbrand, when Galadriel first basically confronts him and she kind of lists off all the reasons why she thinks like you can't be Sauron, you know, you fought beside me, you convinced Muriel to save the Southlanders. And he's like, no, that was you. No, that was you. No, that was you. That mirrored a scene between those two in Numenor. Oh, yes. Remember the scene between uh, he and her after Muriel leaves the throne room, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, and Galadriel was maneuvering everything and was using and manipulating Halbrand in order to get Muriel to go back and and fight Sauron. It was what Galadriel thought she was doing. And Halbrand's mad at her. He's like, I just want to be left alone. I've told you time and time again. And she's like, I've just gotten the Numenorians to, you know, declare you king and go and fight for your people. You know, some would think that you were manipulating me. Right. So that is flipped entirely on its head in the scene between Galadriel and Halbrand. Right. And it's actually like reversed. And Halbrand, to the extent that Sauron was manipulating things the whole time, that that would be kind of like an interesting payoff. And that they're kind of mirror images of each other. Like Galadriel being manipulative in that way was not a good look. No, it was one of the things people complain about. It was very Sauron y. Yeah. Yes, they've really, like, they've definitely taken this relationship um, as an opportunity to give Galadriel complexity that, like, we didn't see coming, but I've come to appreciate more and more that she's got this dark side, this, like, pushy, dark, controlling, like, borderline manipulative side. So smart. They're a smart, like, foil for each other. And he's a perfect mirror for her. Um, So I think I like all that, you know. I like it all. uh, Yeah, I really like those scenes. And I know Sauron's not, like, really supposed to be, for narrative purposes, like a complex figure. But I got to be honest, just within the language of the show and the scenes and what they were setting up, like, I liked, I wanted to believe that Halbrand as Sauron, that he really was trying to heal Middle-earth and that there was a, a heavy layer of genuine desire for redemption in that character. And, uh, and like, in that moment with Gladwell, where he's not even, she's not even giving him a chance. Like, in that moment, I was like, Gladwell, he's right, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not allowing for the possibility that he could be redeemed. Mm-hmm. You should be allowing for that possibility. And so even though I know Sauron's the ultimate big baddie, in this moment, in the show, the way they set it up, like it made him more complex and it made me think like Gladriel, even in this moment where you're discovering he's Sauron, you should maybe be rethinking what it all means. Mm-hmm. Like, which is just me, I guess, succumbing to the charm of Sauron in the show, <laughs> which I love that that happened. You know, I, I love that, that they did that to me. Yes, yeah, they really make you think, and they they're exploring that a lot. Like, why is he is he irredeemable? Why is he irredeemable? Well, you know, but we know, you know, she knows that he's done so much, including kill her brother, which she's more upset about than her lover. But you know, that's. <laughs> 
That's just a thing. No, she just, she can't confront the truth of the loss of her lover. That's, it's more painful. So she can't even, that's, that's, that's You're what Morv- Morviv Clark said. for the show. I'm not inventing it. That's what Morviv Clark said in a TV line interview. She said, I love that they introduced it uh, when they did, because it means that it was like a mental block. It was so painful. She couldn't even confront it until, until now she can. So like Finrod is the loss that she could deal with enough to use it to motivate her hmm. Celebrimbor she just had to suppress or not Celebrimbor um, Celeborn she had to suppress she just like couldn't deal with that and uh, that's that's the way more of a thought Clark thought about it anyway mm, she's making I see from your show. face you're like dubious <laughs> she's also making she's like covering for the writers <laughs> um, anyway let's get to the Numenor scenes and wrap it up um, I uh, I just there's, there's so, so much I still want to talk about Halpern. I just can't stop. There's so the much. Wheels turning. I know but the yes, wheel is turning Numenor. really, really quick. I laughed so hard when Galadriel sent off the her the assistant or the you know Inaregion like go find the scroll that tells us uh-huh. who the king is, and it took him. He was like, "That'll take me a long time." And or he was like overwhelmed by it. And I I must scour the catacombs. Yes. And he's like, we don't we don't keep records of the mortal realms. And then he comes back with a scroll that like perfectly catalogs the lineage of the mortal realm. I was laughing at how like incompetent he looked beside the Numenorean librarian who was like do 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 three seconds later. Oh yeah. Like here you go. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Found it. Um. Yeah, that was funny. Anyway. By By the way, do you think it was? So one of the things that Sauron does to get Galadriel not to reveal that Halbrand is Sauron is, is like, what do you think the elves will do to you if they discover that you were in league with me this whole time, oh, that yeah. I've been Sauron, and and that you basically made it possible, like you saved me and made this all possible? Do you think it is all Galadriel's fault, in a way? Mm. How much blame do you lay at Galadriel's That's feet the thing, that, like, that we can't answer that question until we know more. We have to know more. Like, we have to know, again, as we were debating earlier, is it a long con? Was he truly seeking redemption? Like, we can't place any fault until we know how Sauron got to where he was, you know? So I'm not going to jump to any conclusions. I'm not going to say, you know, because it, it, it appears on the surface that she pushed him to return and then he got a taste for power again and the fighting and next to her and that da, da, da. like it appears that way but then again did he like scheme to put this all together we just don't know yet more more I, shall be i think revealed. it appears that way and i think it is that way i i think i'm buying okay. it on this, the the surface conclusion all right. um even if he was scheming even if he was scheming she still you know involved him in all this stuff if it yeah. wasn't for her efforts um, and maybe he would have found another way. So I'm not saying like, if not for her efforts, it wouldn't have happened. Maybe it still would have happened, but it did happen because of her involvement that like, that's what actually transpired because of her. He was installed as the Southlander King. He returned with the Numenorean force. And then he ends up in Eregion to help Celebrimbor forms, forge the rings of power. It's like, none of that would have happened if not for her. She was basically his Galadriel's guy. Shoulders. And yet it fits. Right? How? Because there's no other way. There's no other way it would have happened. Yeah, I will see. I'm going to just like refrain on making a decision about I mean, that one. 
maybe he would have found it. It's not like it's all her fault. It's also his fault. Right. He has culpability. But she, yes, like there is some blame on her in terms of she participated in the all the events that happened that led to him getting to where he is. Yeah, but she. Um, and, you know, maybe. She didn't know. Uh, <laughs> she didn't know, but she was blind to it because she was driven by yeah. her own, you know, her revenge. She was blind. She's she's been running blind. Mm -hmm. Like that's what Ellen deal said. You know, I have children who runs blind, runs fast. And you remind me of both. And that's what she's been doing. She has been running blind and fast. And because she was running blind and fast, she didn't see that Hal Brenda sound. She didn't. So she made all kinds of mistakes. She didn't want to see it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Tough look, tough look for Galadriel there. Luckily we all know spoiler. She goes on to rule her own kingdom and become, you know, even more of an awesome. Yeah, because she wanted to bring peace and... Oh, wait, did she want to rule? Oh, I see no difference. I see no difference. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> <laughs> evil. Insert evil laugh. Um, so, the Numenorians. Yeah, let's not spend too much time because this was meh. Take it or leave it for me. Yeah, they've reached their climax. This was actually more just setting up season two. I setting think. up season two, um, you know, with the Palantir. She looks into the Palantir. What do well, we don't we don't see her look, but we see her start to take off the cloth, and we right. That's so kind of a question for season does two. Does she is, see the downfall of Numenor two? Does right. she then go to the what faithful? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we don't know. They're, I'm glad they're going to use her in in more interesting ways. Um, excited yeah. for that. She will be a significant character for sure. I love Mir. I'm mostly excited to see Muriel and Elendil. I I think. Queen Muriel is just one of my favorite characters because I feel like she's a true leader. Like she is a true blue, wonderful character, wonderful leader. Like she has suffered. She was fighting alongside her people. She never asked them to do anything she herself wouldn't do. She suffered the consequences of her choice to take them to battle and that she's blind. You know, in the wreckage, she was saving people. Like she is a true queen of the people. And she's yes. noble, and like I just I I love that character. I want to see more of her, and Elendil as well. Just a wonderful, wonderful character. Those two together, like that's a great pairing. So one thing I wonder: so they have both in this scene reaffirmed their commitment to the faithful. You know, we saw in the last episode that Elendil was wavering. He's dealing with his grief. He was very mad. He was blaming Galadriel. He didn't want to come back to Middle Earth. He was not in a good spot. But now he's, you know, and they don't really show us the development. And I don't think we need to see too much. We can just kind of chalk it up to grief. But he's, you know, he's gotten over it, his his mourning period. And uh, now he's recommitting to be the faithful and kind of accepted that you have to, you know, pay the consequences mm-hmm. of, do you know, to follow the right path. There may be a cost. and You just have to be willing to pay it, whatever it is. And I love that theme. Yeah. My question is, they recommit to being faithful. And as a part of that vow, they've both committed to coming back to Middle-earth to make the baddies pay, is the implication. Are they touching the darkness, right? Is oh, that absolutely. the darkness? Yeah. yeah, I mean, everyone, every character. And that's why it's a great, you know, a great show. It's because every character is going to explore that theme. How far into the darkness will they go to protect what they love? So I think that so they're they're back at Numenor. Tar Palantir presumably is actually dead because we see all the black sails, but flags definitely everywhere. Dead. He did. Um, you know, we didn't see the corpse, but uh, I think he, I think he did. Um, and 
I don't know how this is going to shake out, but my suspicion is that Farazon will work with Muriel, support Muriel's uh, call to go back to Middle-earth to fight this war. Because again, this is all part of Farazon's plan to build up more of a Numenorean presence and create vassal states in Middle-earth and get tribute, right? He wants to rule Middle-earth. So he's like, yeah, if you want to go back with an even greater force, a great armada to subjugate whatever dark powers in Middle-earth, I'm all for it. Um, So I think he's going to be a part of that. And we're going to see Muriel's recommitment to the faithful, which is causing her to bring this armada back, it'll actually be a tool of Numenor's downfall. Like, oh, you know, it'll allow yeah. oh. Farazone to get his hooks in. And He's going to say, that's know, a terrible idea. Wait, you want to go back? You know, you want to go back when we've lost so many men, so many. Oh, so you think he'll, you think he'll oppose it? I think that Farazone will oppose it. Oh, okay. Because that's the opposite of what I was saying. No, I I, think. Yeah, I know. The way he supported it the first time, I think he's going to support it again because oh, it I gets him. I don't think so. Like, I think it would be a perfect to, he... opportunity for him to insert himself and, you know, become a leader because she'll have, like, her people are going to throw a fit when she wants to go back again mm-hmm. and help. And that's certainly, so I think there are two viable paths for this plot to take. and I. Either one, like I said, is viable. Uh, I'm glad we're on either side of this coin because we'll just have to wait and see how it shakes out. Um, so it could be, so the what you're describing, uh, if that happens, then it would be kind of a hostile takeover, mm-hmm. right? Because Muriel will say, let's get a great fleet. Let's go back. And Pharaoh's going to be like, wait, wait, wait. You know, isolationism, Middle Earth's not our problem. Um, you know, you're, you're wanting to go help the elves. That's not the Numenorean way. Um, and it'll basically be a coup. And so he'll exert political pressure to, um, to basically overthrow Muriel. And that's per- perfectly viable because at some point he has to come in power. I think the way it's going to happen, he's already said that he would support the first mission to Numenor for you know the reasons he said in that scene with Kemen. I want tribute. I want to expand Numenor's influence. I want to stop just being an island. I want to conquer the world. I, the elves will be serving us. And so he he saw Muriel's excursion to Middle Earth as uh, a way of accomplishing that. And if she comes back and says, I want to do that again, but with more power, I think he'll be all for it. Mm. And I think the way he will get into power is by supporting her, but little by little gathering all the power to himself, you know, because she's now she's blind and will ostensibly be depending more on others around her to carry out her wishes. And so she'll depend on Farazone and he'll just kind of end up usurping quietly and over time more authority while Numenor is out you know, conquering Middle-earth, basically. Well, this would be a good way way to explore, you know, seeing the settlements that they establish in Middle-earth and how it starts out, you know, they start out altruistic, helpful, and then they turn. We know that they turn and they start subjugating the people there. So, um, yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense as well. You know, regardless, I I I love watching Farazone. I love watching Muriel. Like for me, Numenor is my fave other than Anatar and the baddies. Like love watching them and love watching Numenor. Those are my two favorites. Um I love the little scene with Farazone. Yeah. Really the first scene where he's talking to all the apprentices and Tar Palantir is laying there on his bed and basically saying, like, Tar Palantir is gonna die. Mm-hmm. And I I forget the quote, but we finally get the first moment 
where Farazon's talking about mortality. Ah, yes. And, a big theme. Because we know that's the thing that ends up driving him, right? Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen that, at least not for him. We've we've talked about mortality through other characters, and we've, we've seen discussions of that. But Farazon hasn't really brought it up. That hasn't been described with the elves. But now we see him say, basically, we will build a grand tomb for Tar Palantir so he gets the immortality in stone that no man can can gather in life, not even a king. And just like the emotion on his face, it's, he doesn't overdo it, but it's subtle. And like, like you can see that he's dealing with the thought of even a king must die. And, yeah. there's, you know, he sheds he a see, single tear. It seems tear genuine and, sadness. Yeah. I like Farazone. I like this Farazone. Yes. Because I'm glad he's not like a mustache twirling villain. He's not a mustache twirling villain. Like he cares that his king is dead. He cares for the people. He can, and he There's an ambition there, but he seems like in like he does have some integrity at least at this point, you know. Um I like yeah. him as a character. Yeah, absolutely want to see more. Looking forward to it. Uh, season two for sure and I feel like we'll have a different episode where we talk about what we're you know excited for in season two but overall season one I was for me you know I was pleased with a lot in season one um I don't think they hit it out of the park with everything I was expecting but overall you know I really enjoyed watching the show I'm I'm so floored for season two and there's just like so much more to go back and unpack from season one so we'll you know we're definitely be doing which we will do we will definitely do yeah we'll do a full season recap i think we're gonna do episodes on the major plot like uh, characters we'll probably spend like an episode focusing on certain characters or plot lines um episodes focusing on certain themes throughout the season and uh so we still have a lot of material but i think we should announce that you know we'll do one more season recap between you and me um, episode, and we'll do another Fellowship of Fans stream, probably recapping the season. Then I think we are going to take a bit of a break. Yes, yes. We'll, well earned. We've been going hard for all of you, and I hope that you guys have enjoyed this journey, but we're going to take a breather and uh, do our own reflecting. I'll probably have to watch the whole season again <laughs> for start sure. to finish. Yeah, I mean, we started this podcast, our first episode came out in January 2021, and we really haven't taken a break since then. Um, You know, sometimes, especially in the early days, uh, there were long gaps between our episodes, um, but those were not, you know, deliberate planned breaks, and we were always working on stuff for the podcast in those those time periods. So uh, we're, you know, we've been kind of, especially with the season, it's felt like a sprint, like we have been going and going and going and doing a lot of stuff, and I've loved it, I've loved it, I've loved it, um, but I think we just need to take a little bit of a breather and... um, you know, it'll be the end of October by the time we do our last episode here on the on the season, and I think we'll probably um, take a break through the end of the year and then pick up again in January, doing you know character recaps for the season and theme recap episodes for the season. Um, so we'll be jumping right back into analyzing Rings of Power, uh, but we'll take about a month off basically during the holidays, and uh, I'm excited to do that. Um, really, I, I'm such a nerd, so. Let's to end this episode. What are you going to do with your break? What am I going to do with from the podcast? What am I going to yeah. do with my break? Like mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. wise? Anything wise. Like the time that you would have spent oh. preparing for this podcast, you know, you know, <laughs> okay. reading or the true, whatever. The true answer yeah. is, um, I don't know if folks know, I don't really talk about it on the podcast. I have a Shakespeare company. It's called Berkeley Shakespeare Company. 
And um, I go pretty hard on that as well. It is my other passion project. Right now, we are um, in production for Twelfth Night, which will be running in December. It's playing at the... Wow, now I'm just promoting it. It's playing at the Aurora Theater. Do it, do it. it. Aurora Theater, downtown Berkeley um, in mid-December. And I will post all the dates on our website now that it's... uh, Now that I'm putting it out there. But I am producing that show. I'm not in it because... I do not have the bandwidth to perform and produce a show. I learned that the hard way. Um, But I'm also planning a fundraiser for Berkeley Shakespeare Company that will be on November 11th. There will be food, drinks, performances. It's ticketed. You can get tickets on berkeleyshakes.org. Okay, so I've... (laughs) That was a lot. (laughs) I'm just an infomercial for my Shakespeare Company. I'm doing 1-800-BERKELY-SHAKES 1-800-BERKELY-SHAKES <laughs> Call right now Get your tickets Tickets, 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 tickets I've switched mode And now I'm like Wearing a different hat Anyway I <laughs> I'm love Shakespeare I'll be doing a lot With my Shakespeare company During our break Oh And working well, that's And so momming good. Oh, what about you? <laughs> that So your answer makes me feel dumb Because I was gonna say And this is super nerdy I want to take a break from our Lord of the Rings podcast uh, to read Lord of the <laughs> read Lord of the Rings again. Good for I'm you. excited to read Lord of the Rings over the holidays because yeah. we've been you know we've been doing all these podcasts, uh, and I've loved the way that I've experienced Lord of the Rings through the podcast. Like we read a, all of our um, analyses of the films where we go like five or ten minutes of the films, mm-hmm. we read that chapter in the in the in the actual text, and. I, I go deep and I read all the other source material I can find relating to that chapter and stuff. It's great. And it's like a research project every time. And I, I love it. Um, but I have, it's been years now mm. um, since, you know, not just the two years since we started doing the podcast, but time before that, since I have read Lord of the Rings start to finish just for pleasure, you know, mm. not thinking about anything from an analytical perspective, like an overly analytical perspective with production of something else in mind. Just to sit and read it. Yes. Um, so I, I am excited to do that over the holidays and just kind of enjoy Lord of the Rings the way uh, I always have. It is a um, lovely, lovely holiday read. Like by the fire, just like smoking a pipe or not. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you smoke a pipe? I would no, love to see I don't smoke, smoke a, a pipe. pipe. I don't know why I said that. That's just <laughs> you know, I was just imagining someone like a like Gandalf or something. But yes, that's a great idea. And maybe I will do the same. Because I love those books dearly. And it's been a while yeah. for me, too. I think I reread them all in college. But, I, you know, it's been a long time since I was in college. So I might take that suggestion. Um, yeah. And, like, uh, it's funny. You know, we, we've we done a bunch of episodes on the Peter Jackson films. I don't know, like, how many hours, like, 20 hours of podcast. Um, but we really only made it up to the Minds of Moria. <laughs> 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 we will get back to that, by the way, people. We will... <laughs> We will get back no to that. Us. We're going to finish no that. No one believes we're going to no, finish we, that trilogy. No, we absolutely will. We absolutely will. I know we just we just announced that when we come back, we'll do like probably like 10, 15 more episodes on the Rings of Power season we just watched. But we will, after that, in theory, get back to the, the films and that whole series. Um, but uh, yeah, so we even though we've been going hard and like researching <laughs> the Lord of the Rings, we really like got up to the, the Minds of Moria scene. So anyway, I'm excited to, to go back and read it. I'm also excited to watch... Um, Better Call Saul mm. uh, one of my absolute favorite shows um, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul like Vince Gillian is just my Tolkien for TV okay so that's you know, the those... show that I will watch I will watch all of Breaking Bad which you know that I never oh finished it God. 
for oh no good God. reason too. It, it was is... just one of those things where I was like, this is great. And I just like, I think at the time I had a lot going on and it was like one of those things, yeah. you know? It, those uh, Breaking Bad was by far my favorite TV show and Better Call Saul, to my surprise, has entirely lived up to that legacy. Um, and we can talk about later why I say like, to my surprise. I mean, it's a sequel. I guess yeah. I don't need to say much more than that. Like it's, you know, I thought it was, sequels never do as good as the original, but somehow Vince Gillian wrote a show that 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 was just as good as Breaking Bad, I think. It's so, so good. Like, these are perfect TV shows. Just real, real works of art. Mm. They're also set in the Southwest, so as a Southwesterner, I like, appreciate that. the aesthetic of everything that's going on, you know? Yeah. Um, all the camera work, the scenes, the screenwriting, there's, it's just, these are perfect shows. So, um, the season finale, the final season of Better Call Saul came out, it aired, before Rings of Power came out, and and I haven't watched it. I haven't watched a single episode of that final season. I've been saving it because I don't want to like dilute my Rings of Power focus. So um, I will, I will watch that and just be so happy about it. Awesome! I'm gonna do <laughs> also that because too. I've heard that it's great. Not that I like. I was expecting it to be great because Vince, Vince Gilligan is great. But you know, sometimes season finales disappoint. But I've heard people say on Twitter, I managed to avoid spoilers, but people are saying like, "That's how you do a season finale or series finale, like so so good." Ooh. So I'm really really excited wow. to, well, to see the end of that. I show. need a new show. Um. I need a new show because House of the Dragon and Rings of Power ending. So absolutely, I would check that out. Yeah. Well, thanks, folks. All right. Well, this is <laughs> that was a lot of uh, a long digression, but uh, uh, this is a good. You know what? This is a good episode. Um, good episode of Rings of Power, and I feel good about season one. We'll go back and do it. Well, okay, I'm just rambling now, but I feel good about about everything. I really feel good. But, you know, and it's been so fun. Actually, you can't ask me if I liked the season or if I liked the episode at the end of one of these discussions because I always feel so good after chatting with you about them. Like I, I have so much fun, yeah, chatting about the Rings of Power that I go, "Oh, the Rings of Power is so great!" because I have such a good experience, yeah, chatting about it. Um, the Rings of Power is not perfect; it has problems, you know, just in terms as a show on its own merits. It has some issues from a lore perspective. There's some things I don't like, but I one thing it does in spades is these guys know how to talk about Tolkienian themes and it gets us talking and in a fun way and it's just so gratifying and like I'm not frustrated the whole time if it was a total crap show I would not enjoy talking about something that frustrates me and it doesn't make me feel that way it makes me feel really really good to talk to you about it and I have so much fun yeah so likewise we'll get into all that in our next episode absolutely likewise we'll do a whole recap and um, I've enjoyed the ride for sure and we can't wait to to you know unpack more of it with all you guys i hope everybody out there has enjoyed it as well i think it's a work of art truly like criticisms i have a lot of criticisms but overall beautiful um so thanks everybody for listening and uh you want to send us out michael absolutely check out our other podcast watch party wheel of time uh, it's on break, but they just released a an episode from New York Comic Con, so check that out, and they'll be coming back in a little while to really pick up in earnest before season two of Wheel of Time. And a watch party of Ice and Fire is going strong, covering House of the Dragon, which I'm also watching and is also great, and their podcast is great. So please do check them out. Uh, you know, once Springs of Power, now that it is over, I'm sure people will be shifting their focus to House of the Dragon. So go check out that podcast, and uh, we'll be hanging out with Fellowship of Fans tomorrow. Um, tomorrow based on the day we're recording it'll actually be <laughs> the same day that you listen to this 
um, and then we'll be doing another season recap with Fellowship of Fans the week after. So, uh, still a lot, still a lot coming down the pipe for a little bit, for a little while. And uh, we love you all. I just I'm feeling so emotional. <laughs> this the end of the season. <laughs> uh, I love it. Love you all. So good. Thanks, everybody. And you know, if you want to send us some mail with uh, questions, comments about the the series, we do get them. We haven't we haven't uh, been airing too much of the fan mail, but uh, maybe we'll devote an episode to airing some of the comments we get. So send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. And so I think that'll do it. Jen, may the hair on your toes, your hairy, hairy toes, (laughs) never fall out. We're talking sports ball. We're talking sports ball, which I know so much about. Sports ball? Sports ball. I love go sports. Sports, go sports. That tells everyone. My team is number one. That's like the best way to tell people you're not into sports. Exactly. Sports ball. I love sports ball. Let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is sports ball now. Oh, my God. Welcome to sports ball. I'm your host, Jen Gallagher. I did not do theater in high school. I did sports. So let's talk about that. Football. How many is how many king. goal goal baskets did you score? <laughs> I just love intermission at um, sports <laughs> games. Intermission is awesome. When, when the game stops briefly, when you finally get a break from the game, that's when. When you get a break and there's a performance, it's the best. <laughs> That's what they call it, right? Uh huh. When you like, <laughs> we'll go to the snack bar, play with our friends, dancing usually. before before that boring game starts again. <laughs> boring game. Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, uh, surprise, surprise. I'm not a huge sports fan. I know that comes as a shock to people who listen to this podcast. Well, you're athletic. You like ran track, didn't you? I'm not athletic. I ran cross country for a year. That's, that's a, it. That's, that's a year more than I did. I'm not running. And I swam. Country. Okay, correct. I did swim, swim team coming up, and I still love to swim. So I'm a swimmer and a run. I would call myself a jogger. I'm not a real runner. Real runners run. I'm definitely a jogger. Um, but I'm mostly a theater couch person who jogs sometimes. <laughs> so you're you're running. Your cross country running is like. Someone blows the whistle and you start moving in the direction of everyone else. Like you're technically moving in a running fashion. Do I finish the race? Yes. (laughs) How long does it take me to finish the race? Doesn't matter. Yeah. You don't care. Who's counting? (laughs) Yeah. I I jog now, but mostly now I do light jogging and yoga. Mm Mm-hmm. Who is it? Who's it? There's some character, like some comedian, who's like, I have, I have walked three marathons, like bragging about their. Oh yeah. Athleticism. I have walked three marathons. I'm like, I have yeah, that's me. Three marathons. That's me. <laughs> I feel like that's from The Office. When yeah, he's I, like... I think it's Michael Scott, probably. <laughs> no, I think it's Andy. But he's like, I. Oh walked... yes, I it's have got to be three Andy. marathons. That is such an Andy thing to say. <laughs> I walked three. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the 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 time when. Michael Scott schedules a fun run for rabies. Yes, yes, the rabies. Keep and Andy is so rabies. serious, and he has to like put napo- tape over his nipples Nipple. because he like has crazy chafing, <laughs> and so he's all talking about his like all the strategies he's going to employ. 
Yes. I, have, I have walked three marathons, so I'm pretty serious. <laughs> and he's like drafting behind. Um, uh, oh, my gosh. The office is just the goat of shows. It I, will never get old. I I have seen sometime we should just talk about the office and the best episode of the office. I, I, love I the could office talk about so that. For I wonder a if long it's. A, I mean, I'm sure it's a generational it so thing. Like, it's not. It, no, but. it's not. Michael, I know like 12 year olds who think The Office is amazing. Really? I'm not wow. even kidding. It is. It is just. It transcends generations. It is truly one of the greatest shows ever made. So, some of the jokes are eventually. Like, eventually, it'll be out of date. Like. The whole yeah. concept of an office that looks and feels like that will not feel familiar to, to the viewer anymore. You know? No, but even then, the acting and the script will just stand on its own. Right. There'll like, still be enough there that people like understand the setup and they'll they'll enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. Totally. It'll be like a period piece at some point, but it doesn't matter because the acting is so good and it is so funny. Have you have you watched the British office, by the way? No, I never have. I've always Not, been like, I need to watch the British yeah. Office. I know it's very different. I never have. Oh, it's great. Yeah, you should definitely watch it. But it is very different. It's like, um, you know how a lot of times in The Office, the American Office, th- there's a lot of moments, especially with Michael Scott, that are painful. Like, you're cringing. Yes. It's so yes. painful. Yeah. It's like that 100% of the time with the British Office. And it's like more okay. painful. And yeah. uh, it's so good. But like Ricky Gervais is, you know. Like Michael Scott has a, he's more lovable. Like he's got this yeah, kernel he has an endearing of lovability. Quality. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ricky Gervais's character, who's who's the um, the manager of the office in in the British version, does not really have that. Um, or if it is, it is much 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 smaller. <laughs> so he's like okay. he's just he's just all the annoying aspects of Michael Scott, but like none of the redeeming like lovability. <laughs> which is kind of all of Ricky Gervais's characters and it's great it's like so funny it's it's really really good it's just a little different it's a little more caustic like a little, it's kind of that sharper sounds edge, very British, British though that's like exactly. the perfect difference between British and American humor exactly yeah yeah okay I'm gonna give that one a shot um yeah the offices have you listened to the podcast that Jenna Fisher no, started no it's, and it's been recommended to me so many times yeah I, I will oh. get around to it at some point I love it. They just unpack every office episode and they talk about behind the scenes and right. the script writing. And it's just so, so fun to like go th- see the episode through their eyes and their experience and remember how amazing that show is and was. Um, right. The cast was just dynamite. And like so many of the relationships on screen were so believable. Like the Jim and Pam relationship is so iconic, that romance, mm-hmm. like. Everything about that show, the friendships, the people in the office too. You're like, I know that person. There's right. always like the Stanley. There is a Stanley in every office. <laughs> you know, it's just like I don't care about anything. You know what's fun about you talked about the casting is that uh, I mean, most of them were not big stars at all, and so um, I'm. I, it's been so long since I watched The Office. I'm blanking on the names now, but the casting director, uh, or the person who's like the head of running the casting process. She ended up being one of the main characters. Um, and what's her name? Phyllis. Um, Phyllis. Yeah. Phyllis was yes. worked in casting and she just kind yeah. of ended up getting. Yes. Uh, a Cause spot. she was reading. She was like auditioning, right. reading for everyone. I heard right. this. Yeah. And yeah. then they were like, Oh, you're actually, this could be great as a character. Oh my gosh. So good. Yeah, And, and she's then, so perfect. Cause she's just like a person, you know, like a regular right. person that you might. And then I think Dwight's yeah. girlfriend was like waiting tables or whatever. Like she had to, or she was working like some like secretarial job and she had to like take a break on like her lunch break to go audition. And, 
And uh, I don't even think she quit her job right away when she got cast in the office. Because, like, you know, you don't know with these sitcoms whether or not they're going to go anywhere. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that one. Dwight's girlfriend. I didn't know that. Yeah. What's her name? Who works in uh, accounting? Angela? Angela. Yes. Thank you. Wait, they were dating? Angela and Dwight? Have you watched The Office? No, no, no. No. Oh, okay. In the okay in the show, I thought you meant like the real life Dwight's oh, yeah. girlfriend. Dwight, Dwight is a character. No, no, no. Played by an actor. No, Dwight's I not know. real, Jen. For a you second, know, you know the Office is not a real documentary, right? Oh Let's my back gosh. this back back this up. You know that, right? <laughs> Mind not blown. A, not a no, real documentary. No, I thought for a second you meant like Dwight's real, like the actor's real life, Rain's real life girlfriend. Okay, Rain Wilson. Oh no, no, no. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're good. My favorite, I'm just, now that we're talking about it, we'll get into Rings of Power, I promise. <laughs> but now that we're talking about it, my I'm throwing favorite- this, ep- I'm throwing this all in the uh, in the Gray Havens. This is our Gray Havens. Okay, we're good. <laughs> so my favorite episode of The Office of all time, I've seen it like 20 times. It's because it's based on one of my favorite plays that I've actually been in, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, okay. is the episode, The Dinner Party. So Jan oh, and Michael, so Jan and Michael brutal. host a dinner party, and it's based on a play that is like, oh, it's like an amazing I had no play. Idea. Yes, it's all based on this play. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? And it's just the best episode ever. They have this disastrous dinner party, and Jan and Michael are just off the rails, crazy, and like terrorizing their guests with their antics. And I just that love is a it. totally classic episode. Like one of the moments I've... that always stands out to me among many moments <laughs> that are highlights is like just when just the the opening sequences of that the dinner party where they're inviting them in and like showing them around and he's he shows them the the flat screen that he mounted and he's so proud of it and he like it, it, it pushes it in and out but it's like only a couple inches and he's like i could just stand here and watch this for hours and jan's like he does he does like standing and watching i love TV. it Peter and I quote that constantly. We're like, look, see, he fits perfectly. Like when he sleeps on that tiny little, he sleeps right, on the edge right. of the bed. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that episode is one of the best of all time. Just the, the performances that you get out of those two. And so much of it is improv. So much oh, of really? that episode. Like when he says, snip, snap, snip, snap. Like, do you know how many vasectomies? Do you know what a soul it takes on a person? Like, that's improv. That was all him. That oh, was... that's so funny. Yeah. That's... Yes, it's just fantastic. That's gotta be my favorite. Jen, can you? Can you? Uh, no, it's a uh, Pam. Can you help me put the turkey in? Wait, you haven't put the turkey in? Isn't that gonna take like six hours? Yeah. 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 She's like. <laughs> oh my gosh. In Spain, they don't eat till ten p.m. Or something like that <laughs> yeah oh so good yeah the office is wonderful it's like my feel-good show if i need an upper yeah. yeah i couldn't i couldn't tell you how many times i've watched it because you know in college you have those nights you go out mm-hmm. you get you get a 2 a.m burrito you go back and you just kind of chill out and you put on you put on a favorite while you're eating that burrito that greasy burrito to keep your stomach um stomach right you know what it is that I watched? It was always The Office. So I can't oh, tell you totally. how many times I've watched those episodes. Totally. When I had my first baby, too, I would be up nursing and I'd be like, okay, I'm already awake. What should I put on? That was the show. Um, Yeah, it's just a great feel-good show. That and Parks and Recreation, it feels like, you know, same same kind of team. Just, oh, just totally. absolute wonderful stuff. Like Parks and Recreation is a close second for me. 
Um, I it have took this me a while to get into Parks and Rec because I was so like avidly loyal to to the office. I was like, they're just ripping Isn't off the that office funny? concept. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Peter was kind of the same way. And then he really, it sucked him in. And he was like, oh, I love it. He didn't find Leslie Nope as compelling of a main character, but I love, love, love her. I think she's so funny. And yeah, that it had to grow on me because brilliant. I was like, this is like The Office, but everything's different. So because it's different, like the characters are different. So because they're different, they're not as good. And I hate them. You know, it, t- it took me a minute. But then everybody's funny. It's like, it's, it's very different. And Ron is just the funniest oh, character so ever created. Good. Oh, yeah. He's amazing. And <laughs> Again, I don't think like, you heard me. Give me all the bacon you have. Yeah. Yeah. These perfect, like, caricatures. They're just, yeah, everybody's everybody's perfect. Um, Parks and Rec is, yeah, definitely another feel-good show. Definitely another upper. We need more of those, you know, in this time. Um, I get really tired of the dark, cynical shows. Like, there's a place for that, but I go back to the uppers continually. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uppers, downers, I'll take them all. I'll take them all. And speaking of which, do we think Rings of Power is an upper or a downer? Okay, let's like that segue. Let's that's that's a good segue. Let's (laughs) let's do the intro. Let's just go back and do the intro. All right, we'll go back back to the beginning.